0: Listening to New England Public Radio, I'm Adam Frenier, and this is the shortlist NEPR's Week in Review. Joining us today is Matt Safransky, editor of Western Mass Politics and Insight, and Chris Collins, a columnist for the Greenfield Recorder. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. The state fire marshal's office this week says a wood stove is to blame for a fire in the Franklin County town of Warwick last week that claimed the life of, mo- of a mother and four of her children. Matt, while the fire marshal is always touting safety steps to prevent fires, often it's tragedies like these that, that bring the most awareness. Is there sort of an irony here that it takes news like this to serve as a reminder? Well, unfortunately, this is how a lot of these uh, you know
1: things throughout history have often been. You know, There has to be some type of... Uh, you know, signal or event that really wakes people up about what's going on in, uh, um, you know, th- th- that's, that's a danger, whether it's, you know, it's product safety or environmental issues or, unfortunately, something like a fire. I mean, you saw this a couple of uh, years ago. Boston had a big series about how fire traps are being built out of uh, student uh, apartments, you know, and it brought
0: a crack- crackdown. And Chris, sixteen fire departments from around the region responded to last weekend's fatal fire in warwick there's been no blame at all placed on firefighters who encountered a fully engulfed home on a narrow dirt road, but there were no fire hydrants, and it was difficult to get water back and forth from a nearby pond you've covered a lot of fires, Chris in Franklin County, in your time. Is there more that can be done to protect residents in these areas, or is it just a risk of living in the country?
2: Well, it is a danger, and it's historically a real serious one in rural 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 areas i mean it's That's why you have these giant pumper trucks. I know that in this particular case, uh, when they got there, they saw the father and one of the kids running down the driveway. They didn't even know where the mother and the kids were. It's it's a tragedy all around. But, yeah, there should be a better way to do this. But unless you want to build that kind of infrastructure and that costs a lot of money, these towns can't afford it. On Beacon Hill, there's some state lawmakers that are worried about the
0: privacy of data collected by cameras at the new all-electronic tolling gantries on the Mass Pike. And legislation to prohibit MassDOT from releasing any data without a court order was filed by Longmeadow Democrat Eric Lesser in the Senate and Representative Marjorie Decker in the House.
2: I think the question really is, why are we collecting it? What are we doing with it? How do individuals in our state protect themselves from this information being collected and or being used, and what do we need to do to move forward responsibly?
0: Now, MassDOT had no comment for the Boston Globe on the legislation, but in the past has said driver's speed is collected because it helps the camera synchronize so they can take photos of license plates. The data could also be saved for research purposes, the agency said. So, Chris, what's your take on all of this?
2: I think that you know a legislation like that is fine, but I think there's a little bit of paranoia happening here. I mean, this is a state agency. I can't imagine DOT is going to be able to use this data for anything other than the things you just cited. I think we have to sort of you know back up a little bit and realize that this is not the nefarious thing that some people would like to think of this. I think a little bit of politics is being played here. And Matt, there's
0: another component to this. It's called the hot list. It would allow law enforcement to flag certain license plate numbers and get alerted if those cars are spotted on the pike. If police have to wait for a court order, they could miss that opportunity. Where's the balance here? Well,
1: I think the balance might be if you have a situation where where a license plate's already connected to a suspected activity, then you're already kind of, in a legal sense, you know, have some standing to look for this information. I think it is important that there is a legislation that distinguishes between a subpoena, which really doesn't have much in the way of a a legal... uh, You can't challenge it easily unless you know it's coming. And a court order uh, warrant, essentially, you know, you want to distinguish between we just want information that's publicly available and we want to protect, you know, the privacy of, you know, thousands of motorists uh, every day. I mean, there is a balance that has to be struck. Uh, I'm not familiar enough with the intricate
0: details of this legislation, but I hope that they're able to do that. Matt, there's already cameras in public places, even the. Intersections, and that 's really not a new phenomenon. Is this just an extension of that It is, but at the same time you know there is uh
1: there are i think you know reasonable concerns about how privacy is uh being you know impinged upon on a regular basis you know i I, I talk about this you know, with some people, you know, in, in, in Europe, privacy is thought of as a human right. In the United States, we think of it more in a consumer protection aspect of it. And uh, given how much information we already put out there through our smartphones, through uh, social media, and the Supreme Court has recognized the importance of privacy on a smartphone, I think we should be mindful of uh, how much
0: we're expanding our watchfulness of our citizens. Okay, we're all going to lose a very precious hour of sleep this weekend when daylight saving time resumes. That doesn't mean much for high schoolers who are likely to be tired anyway. A new study from Central Connecticut State University looked at this. It found that high schools that pushed back their start times by an hour ended up with higher attendance and graduation rates. And co-author Pamela McKeever says this is just biology. If you're not sleeping until 11, because this is your sleep cycle and this has been learned through studies of melatonin levels and saliva. And so if your teenager is not getting drowsy until 11, they need nine hours to be in school and ready to go first period for 730 is just it's not reasonable. But school districts have a hard time with this change in part because of logistics like busing and staffing and things like that. Chris, what should officials do here? Should they follow the science or tell kids just to deal with it? Well, they've
2: been fighting this battle in Northampton for years, and it's gone the other direction, people that want to start the school day later and to give the kids more time to, to to sleep. I think this part of this falls, I think, on parents. I mean, you know, kids get their lead from the people that raise them. And, you know, when I was growing up, there was, it was pretty specific. My parents adhered to a specific strict bedtime for me. Um, I'm more of a night owl, and that happened as I got older. But I think it—it's—it's it's one. Of, it's another example of of school districts sort of trying to do the job of parents in a way. It should be up to the parents to get these kids into a a regular position where they can get enough sleep to be able to be effective during the school day.
0: Matt, I'm going to make you a high school principal. What would
2: you do?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the notion of trying to start school a little bit later, but I think it's it's a decision that has to happen. As a whole district wide thing, because at the same time, you mentioned some of the logistics issues. You know, uh, some people have observed that younger kids are really active earlier in the morning. So maybe the option is to have them go in a little bit earlier and have the high school kids go in later. I mean, obviously, that creates some issues with after school activities and, uh, you know, what are they supposed to do with the kids when they're out earlier. But like I said, it has to be a district wide solution. It can't just be done on a school by school basis.
2: The thing that stopped Northampton from making the change largely was because of the expense of changing bus routes. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there is a, an economic. And a fiscal component of this that needs to be addressed as well.
0: That was Chris Collins of the Greenfield Recorder and Matt Zfranski of Western Mass Politics and Insight. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to the shortlist NEPR's Week in Review. You can catch the shortlist at any time by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or by going to NEPR.net slash podcasts. I'm Adam Frenier, and this is New England Public Radio.